right. Well, good morning again. Glad you guys have joined us this morning. Um, we spent the summer kind of talking about heroes. I've been uh, affectionately referring to it as the summer with the saints, right? We have spent a lot of time talking about some of the biblical heroes. Uh, we spent kind of late, uh, late uh, spring and the first part of summer walking through the book of Daniel, and we, we, we learned some amazing lessons and read some uh, fantastic faith-inspiring stories about Daniel and about Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and just ways that we saw God show up in their lives. And again, awesome stuff, right? Jaw-dropping sometimes. You're like, man, I love that. And then we kind of s- stepped into another series called Relatable, and we've looked at some more sort of heroes of the faith, and we looked at uh, some, we learned some lessons from their shortcomings, but also uh, some lessons uh, in, in ways that they inspire us. And we've looked at people like Moses or David or Esther or Abraham, and again, uh, I, I think we can't help but sort of stand back, even as we've, even with taking an honest look at them, you can't help but sort of stand back and say, wow, right? These guys are awesome. I love these heroes from the Bible, so to speak. I love the way that God showed up and worked in them and through them and that kind of stuff. And uh, today, as we kind of hit the unofficial close of summer, I thought it might be good to kind of step back and to talk about a different kind of hero, somebody that maybe uh, his story is not so much about... um, about being in the spotlight. He's not necessarily a step up and slay the giant kind of guy. You don't see him parting the waters and leading God's people through on dry ground. In fact, most of his story happens in the background, kind of behind uh, what we see. Most of his story uh, is is not seen through him, but really seen through others. And uh, and so I want to talk today about somebody that's not necessarily a hero, uh, but somebody that uh, I'm calling is, is a hero maker. And so we're going to learn some lessons uh, from him. And I don't know, I was just thinking about it this week and thinking, man, as Americans, we've kind of got a thing for heroes and maybe especially superheroes right now, right? Uh, how many movies <laughs> have come out? There's about, I don't know, six or eight a year. It seems like I read this week that uh, d- since Disney bought Marvel, the Marvel, what is it, Cinematic Universe or whatever back in 2009, they've made 12 billion dollars with a B since 2009 on the movies alone. 12 billion. Somebody ought to say, that's a lot of money, right? 12 billion dollars. As Americans, we love these things, right? We love to, I love to go. I mean, I love to see these movies. love to see heroes and like men and women that sort of step up when it's needed and they perform heroic sort of acts. They show super strength. They have the, the capacity to do what's needed at the proper time, right? It's fun. I love these movies until we got to the whole uh, Infinity War fiasco and I still haven't really recovered or forgiven them for that. If you guys have seen it, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, it's like, what is going on? I digress. Anyway, uh, but I, I think we love hero stories. We do. I love hero stories. I think all it, it's sort of in us. Uh, I think even when we imagine and we dream about our own stories, we kind of dream about being the heroes of our own stories to some degree. Even I think the American dream is sort of a, man, you come from nothing, but you, by your own strength and power alone, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you accomplish something, you become successful even though you came from you know nothing. And, and that's sort of the American dream, what we aspire to be, that we'd be a self made man or a self-made woman and we would, uh, you know, 
everybody would see our value and our worth, and it would be an amazing thing. The spotlight would be on us. We'd be the guy or we'd be the girl, right, kind of thing, standing there in the end. There's something great uh, uh, about that, something that we kind of aspire to, I think, in our own hearts and in our our own souls. And yet I have to say, and I I get that, I'm I'm there with everybody else, but I think I, I hear something when I step back and I, I pay attention to God's book a little bit, I hear something that's a little different and, and that speaks a little bit differently to me, sort of echoes a different kind of success. When we open up the pages of God's book, I think I get reminded of a Savior who came not to be served but to serve. A Savior that came for others and not himself. I'm reminded about a teacher that taught that those who would be called greatest in his kingdoms are in his kingdom are those that stoop down and serve and help raise up others. The one who wasn't enamored by the crowds but invested most of his life, most of his ministry in 12 disciples so that when his time on earth was done, he could hand over the ministry to them. I was reminded this week that uh, most scholars think that the church when Jesus died, the church that he had poured his life into was about 120 people. 120 people. That's the church that Jesus left behind. But again, but he poured out his life and he raised up and invested in these 12 disciples and in this 120 that were together so that at, when those disciples at the end of their lives, they would leave behind a church of tens of thousands that impacted the entire world. There's something amazing about stepping back and realizing, you know what, although we tend to picture Jesus as the hero of the story, and in a very real way he is, right? I mean, Jesus is the hero. But he didn't live his life that way. Most of his life he lived by stooping down and serving for the good of others, for for raising up others and investing in others who would carry out the mission and the ministry. In fact, he, he even ends up saying to his followers, he said, man, I'm going to the Father, and it's for your good that I go to the Father because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to empower you and to live in you. In fact, if, if, if I go to the Father and I send the Spirit to live in you, you'll do even greater things than I have done. It's like the ultimate hero maker sort of comment. right? You're gonna, you, the, the stuff that you're going to see and do and experience when I send my Spirit to you is going to be amazing. You're going to be empowered and do even greater things than I Jesus, in a very real way, didn't live his life as the hero of his story, but as the hero maker. In fact, when people would try to shine the glory and the spotlight on him, most of the time Jesus would deflect it to the Father and say, man, my life is all about, I'm only doing what he tells me to do. I'm only living the way he tells me to live. It's it's the glory of God that you're seeking, not his own. He deflected and again spent his life raising up others. Jesus, in a very real way, was a hero maker, and that trickled down to his followers. His disciples understood this. Listen to some of the things that they wrote. Again, these early disciples, these early Christians in the early church, these are some of the comments that come out, some of the commands even, some of the verses that they penned uh, after Jesus' uh, resurrection and ascension went back to heaven, after he sent his spirit to his people. This is some of the stuff that they say as they are encouraging the churches to remain faithful to the example and to the life of Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 puts it this way. It says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Build up others just as, in fact, you're doing. 
Hebrews 10, 24 puts it this way. Let's consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Spur and lift up and raise up those around you. 2 Timothy 2, 2. Paul writes to Timothy, who is his apprentice, and he says, the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, the things that I have entrusted to you, he says, likewise, entrust to reliable people who are qualified to teach others. He's saying, I, I have made an investment in you so that you can raise up others, that they can raise up others. You kind of see this trickle-down effect embraced by the early church to say, you know what? Your life is not so much meant to be about the spotlight being on you and be like, look how great he is. Look at how great she is. But it's meant to reflect God's glory, and it's meant to, be, to, to, to live lives where we lift up and we empower and we invest in those around us. Do you kind of see it? Do you see kind of what we're getting at? Well, there's one of these early disciples, one of these early Christ followers that probably exemplifies this whole idea more than anybody else. He spent his entire life, as I alluded to earlier, really raising up those around him, not being a hero, but a hero maker, so to speak. And, and uh, some of you uh, may have heard of him before, may have read about him in God's book, but he's actually a guy... Uh, your name, the name probably you won't recognize. His name is actually Joseph from Cyprus. Anybody remember that name? Nope. <laughs> he, was, he became known very quickly and early on in, in the church as Barnabas. Barnabas literally means a son of encouragement. And he was named that because that's how he lived his life. He spent his life encouraging and lifting up and raising up and discipling those that were around him. Barnabas, a son of encouragement. His life is actually pretty remarkable. He was one that, like I said, he lived his life as an encourager. He lifted up and developed those that were around him. He took chances and, and, and invested in people. He gave them opportunities, and he let even other people outshine him again and again. And as a result, I have to say, it's crazy, but the church exploded. The message of Christ impacted the entire world. Many, many other disciples were raised up and were sent out. Churches got planted, all kinds of stuff. And, the, and one of the main reasons why or one of the main forces behind it is this humble guy named Barnabas who was not a spotlight seeker but spent his life raising up and investing in others. So I, I want us to kind of look at his life. I want us to learn kind of four lessons or there's like four characteristics, so to speak, of, uh, of an encourager, of a hero maker uh, from the life of Barnabas. And we're going to kind of walk through it and walk through his story uh, a piece at a time here. First thing we're going to talk about is that hero makers believe you can change or, or develop they don't just see who you are. They don't just see who you were in the past, but they see potential. They see what God's doing in you. They see your trajectory, so to speak. They are looking for what God is doing in you, not necessarily where you're at right now, but again, looking towards the future and looking and trying to help you discover where he's taking you. I remember being a uh, maybe a 22 or a 23-year-old young whippersnapper uh, and started having a sense that, um, that's not me, by the way. <laughs> You're like, is that you? No. Um, but uh, I remember having a sense that maybe God was calling us to plant a church at the time. Uh, we were living uh, outside of Rockford in a little church and uh, ended up hooking up with this guy that was a, a church planning dude up in Wisconsin and uh, started having conversations. We spent a year or more um, kind of just in process with him. We went through some assessment kind of things. But 
But I remember uh, we had talked with some others in that era, and it was pretty easy for people. I've always looked young for my age, and so I can remember, I mean, in, in this era, we, I can remember Tina and I, when we were first married, sitting on the front steps of our house and having a, a salesman come by and say, hi, kids, are your parents home? <laughs> right? <laughs> kind of thing. We've, so we look like a couple of high schoolers or maybe less, I don't know, but we look super young, and it was so easy for people to look at us and just to be like, there's no way. I mean, you're talking about church planting, you're talking about pastoring. There's no way you guys can do that. Like, you're not old enough to, to know anything, and I didn't. I think at the time, I'd, I'd had a grand total of preaching experience of maybe like three times in my life that I'd actually preached a message. Uh, I'd had a, a little bit of experience in college ministry, a little bit of experience uh, doing worship and, and youth uh, in a church setting for a couple of years. But really, I was completely unproven, untested, and, uh, and this guy, Tom Nebel, is the first one that was able to kind of look past some of that. And as he got to know us, he was able to kind of speak into us and say, you know what? I think there's something that God's doing here. I think God has put a calling on you to plant a church. And you're not there yet, right? But, but it seems like that's where God's taking you. And he's going to grow you. And he's going to do a work in you to prepare you and call you and send you out to plant a church. And about a year and a little bit later, we did. We planted a church and we pastored that church for 14 years and got to see God do some amazing things. But that's what hero makers do. They see, don't just see where you are, but they see potential. They see trajectory. They see what God's doing and they recognize it and they kind of speak it into you a little bit. It's ironic, but I mean, uh, he, not only did Tom do this uh, for us, but he did it for dozens and dozens of other 20-something young potential church planters. And as a result, there's hundreds of churches that have been planted around Wisconsin and Michigan. Thousands and maybe tens of thousands of people have met Jesus because there was a Barnabas or somebody that said, you know what, I don't need my entire life to, to have the spotlight focused on me. I'm willing to step into the background and spend my life developing and calling out and speaking and raising up others into the ministry, into the life and the calling that God has given them. That's what hero makers do. This is what Barnabas did, right? He believed that, uh, that others could change and could become more. Look with me, look with me at uh, Acts chapter 9, uh, verses 26 through 28. Let me give you a little bit of a context here. There's, in the first half of the book of Acts, you see, um, you, you start learning a little bit about this guy by the name of Saul. Saul was a Jew. He was um, an intense Jew. He was a teacher. He was a rabbi. And he was convinced that Jesus was a fraud and that Christians, I mean, they were, they were a cult. They were a lie. They were whatever. And so he spent the first half of the book, Acts, you read about him going around and persecuting and arresting and sometimes even giving approval to the killing of Christians. He hated them, right? He despised them. He was convinced they were wrong, so he spent his life uh, trying to destroy this church until business was taking him uh, on the road to Damascus one day, and, uh, and Jesus decided he was going to appear to him himself. He knocked him off a horse, uh, had an encounter, spoke to this guy by the name of Saul, and it transformed his life. Suddenly, this guy that was utterly convinced that Jesus was a fraud suddenly becomes convinced that Jesus is real and that he is the risen and resurrected son of God. And he's living his life full on for him. He starts out preaching pretty much from day one and sh sharing and trying to convince other Jewish people like he had been that, that Jesus really is the way and the truth and the life and that life is found in following and coming to know him. And a guy by the name of Saul, who is now savior and your luck, right? I mean, good stuff, all this kind of stuff. Well, 
all of a sudden people start hearing about this and uh and this guy by the name of Saul, who is now becoming known as Paul, uh, says, uh, I want to go and meet with the leaders of the church and make sure I know what I'm teaching and what I believe and that I'm on the right track and that kind of stuff. And at the time, Jerusalem was kind of the hub of Christianity. It isn't later in our story, but it is at this time. And uh, so he says, I want to go and, and, uh, and meet with the leaders of the church. And how do you think the leaders of the church feel about that? Hey, this guy that used to kill Christians and persecute them and arrest them and all this kind of stuff, he'd like to meet with you and know your names, maybe your addresses, <laughs> right, kind of stuff. How would you feel about that? Okay, you guys are weak. Come on, speak up. How do you think, how do you think you'd feel about that? Think you'd be scared? Think you'd be a little skeptical, a little hesitant maybe? Yeah, this is where we're going to pick up the story. Verse 26 says this, When he, Saul, or Paul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him. <laughs> Why would they be afraid of him? Right, right. So they were afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple of Jesus. Let's listen to this. But Barnabas, but Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. You kind of get with the picture here. You get what's, what's happening. Paul, again, had been killing Christians, and now he comes to the leader of the church and said, I'd like to meet with you, and I'd like to know you and hear from you and learn from you, and the leaders are skeptical. But Barnabas takes a risk. That's what hero makers do. He not only sees Paul's past, but he sees his present and the trajectory he's on. And he recognizes that Saul is not the same man that he used to be. He is a new creation, a new man. He sees somebody whose heart is wide open to Jesus, who is trying to follow him with all of his heart. And he gives him a chance. In fact, he goes before the church and vouches for him and says, I believe this guy. I think he's the real deal. I see potential in him. I think we should let him into the fellowship. I think we should embrace him and partner with him and see what God does with it. That's kind of what Barnabas types do. They see great potential. They offer second chances. They believe that you can change. And that's what Barnabas does here. He sees potential. Man, I, I read the stories like this and I think, I want to be a son of encouragement like that, don't you? Don't you want to be the person that vouches for this person and, and gets to be a part of seeing God do something remarkable as he transforms a life, as people discover their calling and their identity in Christ, as they start stepping into a ministry or calling that God has for them and they live full on for him. Don't you want to be a part of helping to call that out of people and raise people up like that? Don't you? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I do. I want my life to be about that. And that's exactly what we see here. Call out potential in people. Hero makers believe that people can change. They believe that you can become more than you were in the past. And they believe that God can and will use you, warts and all. Man, I was thinking about that this week and just thinking, man, I wonder if there's some parents here <laughs> That need, to, that need to, to embrace this whole thing. Sometimes it's easy for us to get down on kids or, or friends or coworkers or other students or whatever about stories and things that were true in their past and we can typecast people and say, well, that's just the way they are. I wonder if maybe we as God's people, we as parents, we as coworkers, we as friends need to start looking with grace filled lenses once again giving people not not saying that you don't see or recognize the junk that we all see in one another 
But what if we were people that were willing to take a risk, to see the best, to give opportunities for people to step into the life that God has for them instead of judging and condemning based on their past? We've all got a past, don't we? We've all got stories that we would just as soon forget about. We, as Christ followers, we are betting it all that God has poured out his grace on us through Jesus, that, we, that he can make us new, and that he has a glorious destiny for each and every one of us. We've got to learn to look with eyes like that with the eyes of Jesus, with the eyes of Barnabas that say, I'm going to go on record and say, let's, let's give it a chance. Let's, we believe that people can change. We believe that lives can get transformed. We believe that God can go on and redeem and restore and do a work in us and through us. Well, I should uh, keep going. <laughs> let's keep going. Uh, second thing, hero makers invest their lives in other people. I remember uh, reading an article one time a number of years ago. It was a business article about uh, the business world, and they kind of were trying to help you identify where your organization or where your business was based on four things. It was like a four-star kind of thing. E- each company, they, they taught you how to rate. If you're a one-star company, a two-star company, three-star, four-star, and the difference between the one-star companies and all the rest is that one-star companies basically uh, thought of their employees as expendable. They were just somebody that you could use to make money. <laughs> It's, they were saying that's basically the worst company to work for, right? The, who wants to work for that? Kind? They said all the, other, all the other companies, two stars, three stars, four stars, which were the best, they said they all recognize that, that people have great value and they're, they're not just something that you use to get what you want, but these are people that, uh, that are your greatest asset. If you invest in them, if you help raise them up in any part of their life, you just help the company too, right? It's, it's like a byproduct, but they're your greatest asset. So the, 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 the basic uh, thrust of the article, so spend, spend your time, spend your energy, your finances, your whatever in raising other people up. And, uh, and I have to say, there's some great crossover between a, that business article and uh, what I think God calls us to as the church and being a hero maker. It's that we too recognize that people have intrinsic worth. They are of great, great value. And we need to as well spend our time and our days investing and in helping to raise up and empower uh, those that are around us. As Christians, sometimes we talk about this and we'll use words like discipling somebody or we'll talk about pouring into someone and it's basically, we're all talking about the same thing. It's, it's the hero maker sort of lifestyle. It's about investing ourselves into someone else. It's about helping to develop the gifts and the talents and the abilities in others. It's about helping to grow, uh, helping people to grow as, as people, as students, as Christ followers, as husbands, as wives, as moms, as dads, as friends. It's about passing on to others those things that God has taught us, investing in them. If you're a follower of Jesus, friends, it's part of what God has called you to do is to invest in others, to disciple others, to help raise and encourage uh, one another up. It's part of the calling that he's put on us to help raise people up to become more than they ever dreamt they could be in Christ. Look with me at Acts uh, chapter 11, 25 and 26 says this. It says, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. This is after they were in Jerusalem. He went to Tarsus to look for Saul. 
And when he found him, he brought him with him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Since the disciples uh, were called Christians first at Antioch. Barnabas goes uh, to get Saul, who's also called Paul, right? And he went searching for him, and he found him. And when he found him, he took him with him and apprenticed him and discipled him and poured into him, invested in him for a whole year. He said, why don't, why don't you come and join me? I'm going to go over here, and we've got some work to do in this church. Why don't you come with me? And he learned, I'm sure he, he was raised up during this time. He learned, how do you lead a church? How do you love a church? How do you preach the message? How do you, right, do the tasks of ministry? And even how do you live your life with Christ in the flow of the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit? There was this time and energy where Barnabas was pouring himself into and investing in Paul and the church uh, that, that they were a part of at the time. He must have done a pretty decent job, too, because you see the results. Uh, uh, it's kind of a little throwaway line at the, end of that, uh, at the end of those verses. It said, the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So as, as Barnabas is raising up and pouring his life into other people, those outside the church start to look at this little group of Christ followers. They say, you know what? You look like Jesus what it means. Little Christ is what they called him. It wasn't even a, a positive term the way they used it. You, but your life, the way you love people, the way you speak truth, the way you live your life, it reminds us of Jesus. Isn't that good? Man, what if that were, what, what if people on the outside were looking in of us and saying, man, when I look at the way you live your lives, it reminds me of Jesus. Best compliment there could be, don't you think? Amazing. But that's what Barnabas is doing. He's raising up. He's teaching Paul. He's teaching the church there what it looks like to walk with and live in a, in a life-giving relationship with Christ, to live in the fullness of his spirit, to live out the mission that he has called us to. It's the good stuff right there. All right. Um, that's what hero makers do, right? We invest our lives in raising others up. Let's go on to the third one. Hero makers rejoice when you succeed. <laughs> this is a great one. I was thinking this week uh, about a story. I remember um, there was a guy when we were first planning a church up in Wisconsin. Again, this is probably like, I don't know, 20 years ago, so something like that. A little kind of mumble a little bit, but uh, it was a while ago. And uh, we had just started, we had our first service up in uh, Wisconsin and uh, went to a church planner's retreat uh, with a bunch of other church planners. And one of the guys that was there was a guy that was a friend of ours. Uh, he was our coach, our church planning coach, and really a mentor. Kind of served almost like, like a dad to me in that era. He was just a great guy. He was a hero maker for sure. But uh, I can remember, I mean, he was actually kind of going through a little bit of a rough time in their own church. They weren't doing that well. Their numbers hadn't been uh, that great. He was a little bit discouraged. And so uh, we, when I saw him at the retreat, I, 
we had had our first service. We had a whole bunch of people show up. We were super jazzed, like super excited. And I, I can remember making a conscious decision saying, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell him <laughs> how many people we had. Cause I didn't want it to be like a downer for him. I didn't want him to feel discouraged, but uh, it took all of about five seconds for him to see me and for him to dart across the room and say, how was your first service? And I was like, oh, it went good. I was like, we had a bunch of new people and uh, you know, children's, our teams did great. Our children's ministry was awesome. Our first impressions team did great. You know, we're kind of talking about that. Worship team was fantastic. And I was like, he said, well, how many people did you have? And I, I was like, well, and he's like, no, how many people did you have? So I told him and, uh, and he was like a proud father. He was rejoicing. He was like, that's awesome. And he starts, I mean, he puts his arm around me. I'm so proud of you, all this kind of stuff. In fact, late, throughout the next couple of days, he'd walk around with me and he'd be like, did you hear how many people they had come to their service and how many people came to Christ? And he's, he's telling other people around the room, like, like I said, like a proud father, he's rejoicing. It didn't matter how he was doing, how they were doing. He was rejoicing at the victory for the kingdom and at, at the victory of somebody else that he was pouring his life into. That's what hero makers do. This is crazy, but if we go back to Acts uh, chapter 11, uh, man, there's, this is, uh, <laughs> there's some interesting stuff going on. Um, we're going to look at verse 19, but let me give you a little background here. Right? The church in Jerusalem uh, was the hub of stuff right away, the, right? That was where uh, stuff was happening. That's where thousands of people came to Christ in one day after Pentecost, right? Uh, things were going great for a season, and then all of a sudden, God sends persecution, and the church scatters. People are getting arrested and worse, right? The, all, things start going not well at all for the church in Jerusalem. It is a very, very, very difficult season. But in the midst of this, they start hearing uh, these glimmers about Barnabas and, and Saul and or Paul uh, and the ministry they're doing. And, and suddenly, uh, they're, they're hearing stories that, that Although this has been a very Jewish-centered movement, right? That at first the, the, the good news about Jesus went only to the Jews. You tracking with me? And suddenly they start hearing that Barnabas and Saul are taking this message to people that aren't Jews anymore, to the rest of the world. And, uh, and people are responding and opening up their hearts to Christ and their lives are getting transformed. And they're like, wow. And so they send out Barnabas to check this kind of thing out and to kind of give a verdict. Like, is this okay? Is this from God? Is this not? All this kind of stuff. Listen with me. Uh, Acts chapter 11, starting with verse 19, it says this. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as uh, Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, is, what's his response? He was, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Now, you have to realize that this is a critical turning point in the church. Up until then, up until this point, all the Christians have kind of been huddled together around Jerusalem. It was a Jewish kind of deal, but now they begin to scatter and a group of Christians come to Antioch and start sharing about Jesus with people who aren't Jews. It had never been done before. 
These people were considered second-class citizens, the Jews thought, many of them. So the word gets back to the leaders in Jerusalem that non-Jews are becoming Christ followers and that they send Barnabas to check it out. Well, Barnabas gets there and he realizes that God is the one that's been working. The Holy Spirit is the one that's behind this kind of thing. He realizes that people are entrusting their lives to Jesus and he rejoices because he's on their team, because he recognizes it's God, because it's not about them protecting their turf or having their own little thing. It's about the kingdom of God busting forth in this world, and he wants what's best for these people. He wants what's best for God's kingdom, and so he rejoices with them. The church of Jerusalem isn't going well, but Barnabas shows up in Antioch and realizes it's from God, and he, it fills him with joy. He rejoices with him because that's what hero makers do. Let me give you one little other uh, tidbit that I thought was interesting as I was studying this week. Another way that he kind of rejoices when others succeed. This is crazy, but as you read through the book of Acts and you start reading about Barnabas, you start noticing this pattern, right? Acts 11, uh, just look at the order. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in uh, Judea. They did this, sending their gift to the elders by, what does that say? Barnabas and Saul. Acts 12, 25, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, Acts 13, 2, right, set apart for me, God says, Barnabas and Saul. You see the order? The order is intentional because you mentioned the one that's most important first. He's the leader of this deal, right? Barnabas is the guy, right? He's the one that's sort of apprenticing and, and discipling and lifting up and pouring into uh, others. He's the one that the church in Jerusalem recognizes and sends out. It's Barnabas, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. Now, now something significant happens uh, in Cyprus, and Paul's leadership begins to blossom. His gifts really start to kick in and come alive, and the leadership gets passed from Barnabas to Paul. Listen, look at this next verse. From Acts 13, 13 on, it starts talking in a different way. Listen to this. From uh, Paphos, Paul and his companions <laughs> sailed to Perga. You know who his, one of his companions was? Barnabas. Almost always from this point forward, it talks about Paul and Barnabas. Paul and his companions. Paul and whatever. The, the last, the second half of the book of Acts is all about Paul and the ways that God used him to take the message of Christ to the rest of the world. And you know what? As I read the story, I, this is my guess, so fair warning. But you know what? I bet Barnabas rejoiced. I bet, I bet Barnabas didn't feel jealous. I bet he wasn't like, well, why aren't you putting my name first anymore? I mean, I, the, it, he's a hero maker. This is what he does. He, he raises people up. He has poured his life into Paul. And as Paul steps into the calling and the gifting that God has put on him and, and starts recognizing the way the Holy Spirit's using him, I bet he steps back with great joy and rejoices. That's the hallmark of a real hero maker, by the way. If you can step back and rejoice when others succeed, when others surpass you. Now, uh, a quick little aside. Now, is this uh, Barnabas's excuse to, uh, to retire early, you know, kind of move to the beach and sort of, you know, do this? No. In fact, he goes to the next hero and starts developing somebody else, somebody by the name of John Mark. In, in fact, I might add, someone that even Paul didn't recognize, didn't see potential in. He had his quirks about his past and his history. But Barnabas, being the hero maker that he is, saw potential, started pouring his life into somebody else and raising them up. 
into the calling, into the man that God had called him to be. That's what hero makers do. I'll hit the fourth one real quick and we'll be done. Hero makers challenge you to become more than they, more than you are, I should say. They challenge us to become more than we are. We just looked at Acts 11, 23, right? When he saw, when um, Barnabas arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done. He was glad, we talked about in the last one, but listen to this. But he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He, it doesn't say that he, he just rejoiced and just stopped there. No, hero makers never just stop there. They see potential in us, but they call us to more, right? He, and this is, what, this is what Barnabas does. He says, no, 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 this is great. You are coming to life, but let me tell you, it's all about Jesus. Focus your life on following him and serving him with all your heart, right? With, with Go after him with reckless abandon. They call us to more. There's, there's grace that's poured out. There's grace-filled glasses, but there's also truth saying, man, now follow him, right? Follow him. Go after him. Don't let anything stand in your way. Don't hold back a bit, but follow him with reckless abandon. Hero makers challenge you to become more than what you are. I remember reading a book uh, a number of years ago by Keith Miller, and he kind of uses two categories that I thought were interesting. He talks about in our lives, we all have people that are basement people, but we also have people who are balcony people. He's like, basement people are those that, <laughs> that just drag you down. They can find, you know, in any silver lining, they can point you to the cloud, right? It doesn't matter. They're, 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 they're the ones, the voices in your head, the voices from your past, sometimes in your present, that say, man, you can't do that. You'd have to be an idiot, Right? What makes you think that you're qualified? Why could you? Don't you remember that you failed back here? Don't you remember? The deceiver, Satan, I might add, is the chief basement person, all right? He's the one, he's speaking those lies to us all the time. Balcony people, on the other hand, are those that, 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 that sort of speak faith into you. Maybe not, maybe not like, hey, you can do everything and you're the superhero and the strong one, but they're like, man, God can do anything. He uses people like you all the time. He's got good plans for you. They speak faith and life into you. They speak potential. They lift your eyes off of the problems and off all the, the junk that the basement people bring up, and they lift your eyes back up to God and say, man, you can do it. Go after it. God's got great plans for you. Isn't that great? I love the imagery. Basement people or balcony people. Can I just say, man, a quick perusal of Facebook or any kind of social media would say, there's a lot of basement people out there, aren't there? <laughs> there are a ton. And we can, and, and in all honesty, am I guilty of being a basement person sometime? Yep. And are you too? Yep. We can all be either. But I think the call that we hear, if we, if we open up our ears from the life of Barnabas, but also from the word of God in general, is to be balcony people, to, to encourage and build up and speak life and, and even speak and, and, and uh, infuse faith into conversations to point people's eyes back to Jesus, the one who transforms lives all the time, the one that can restore us and heal us and repair the broken parts of us, the one that has plans for you that you can't even possibly imagine. That's the Savior. That's the God that we follow. And friends, part of our calling as Christ followers 
is to become people like that, hero makers, people that embrace that calling, that lift up others, that reflect the glory and the spotlight back to God, <laughs> and to spend our lives and our days and our moments helping to raise up and pour into and invest in the lives of those around us that they too can bring great glory to God, that the mission of Jesus can move forward in our region. If you've been around the church for any amount of time at all, I hope you've picked this up from us. This is a value for us, is we want to be people that are hero makers. We want this kind of encouragement, raising up sort of culture to permeate our lives. We, we say as a church, we're about three things. We're about helping people discover new life in Christ. We're about developing people into passionate followers of Jesus. And we're about deploying people to impact their world, to take Jesus to the streets, you know, kind of thing. And so this, this, these are all hero makers. It's hero maker kind of language, right? We're about developing people. Help. We say if we're doing it right, we're going to help people become more than they ever imagined they could be as they grow up in Christ, as they discover their calling and the gifts that he's put inside of them. We want to help unlock that, but that's not something that happens top down. It's not something that happens just on Sunday morning or where a couple of us can do it. It's got to become part of who we are, how we see our worlds, and how we invest our lives to raising up others, again, for the glory of God and the mission of Jesus had moved forward. Why don't we close in prayer? Father, I pray that you would do that in us. We recognize that <laughs> you are the hero of every story because it's your story. <laughs> and so we thank you, uh, God, for being such a great God to us. We thank you for being merciful and gracious. We thank you for the good plans that you have for your people, that you are the God of second chances, that you are the one that gives gifts, that raises up, that calls us to more, that asks us to trust you and sends us out to impact our world. God, I pray that, that, that uh, as a church, that we as your people would embrace more and more this calling that you've given us to be hero makers, to, to be people that make disciples, that make disciples, that make disciples, that we would be people that call potential and faith out of people, that point people to you and what you do in lives. The way you use ordinary, rustic, messy people like us and you, do, uh, you use them in remarkable ways because you're a remarkable God. Father, we need you. We want you. We want to see this lived out in our lives, in our church, that you would be honored, that you'd be raised up and glorified, that your kingdom and your mission and your purposes would advance here in our region, that scores of people would meet Jesus and grow up in him and be sent back out to live for you. We lift these things up. We ask them and we pray them in the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior, our King. Amen.